Welcome to the podcast that helps inform, entertain and inspire you to do more with your passion for cars. How good are you at sensing other people's emotions and feelings? Is it something that you want to work on or something that may be important to you? Well, today's guest is all about empathy and making the most of every relationship to help best understand how he can help them and see what drives that person. And at the same time, doing this podcast, the the conversations I have had have made me a better person, training me to listen more and use my curiosity to get to what makes people act a certain way and in turn give you an idea of what you want to do with your passion. And in today's conversation, you'll get a great sense of how to network with people and what you should look for when getting to know someone and hopefully give you a better idea of exactly how to do that. So here is what to expect. I'm a bit of a visionary, I'd say. I've always had visions of doing things and it's kind of like, oh, you want to achieve that, you want to achieve this. But where I am now is not where I thought I'd be. Certain things trigger certain people, don't they? So you can empathise with why some people just think, oh, you're just being stupid, stop it. It's... But no, actually, you've got to understand the reasons behind why they're in that position and try and relate yourself to them. And I think that's something I'm okay at doing. In that position and try and relate yourself to them. And I think that's something I'm okay at doing. But now you kind of learn that you can't please everyone and not everyone's going to like you. And I think sometimes when I was younger, I used to want everyone to like me because I used to try and like everyone. I can't always promise that we're going to give the best results. If any marketing company promises you that, in my opinion, they're lying. I've lacked in probably my own relationship, my partner, in the sense of time being given to that. I used to be taking work calls at the dinner table and I can understand now how frustrating it would have been that people should love you for that, you know, yeah. and you can you you don't have to try to be someone else to be successful you don't have to then try and mimic or copy someone else that's already successful just a quick one thank you for listening to the podcast i just ask if you haven't already please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening it takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people i would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career so thank you Gaming, like most hobbies, can develop into your own career if you're willing to put the effort in. When I first found out about car racing and racing games, I was obsessed with online websites and games like Gran Turismo 3. I had so much fun learning racing lines and taking the perfect time to perfect each race. Nowadays, people are competing worldwide in head-to-head sim racing events. And that's where this month's sponsor, E-Team Hard, comes in. With the help of Lee and his team, we are giving away a Sim Racer starter pack, including merch to wear whilst gaming so you can look the part, with a 3D wrap t-shirt and Sim socks, along with stickers to make your rig look the part. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you will be able to hear the sequential transmission with a headset from me to music. The giveaway starts November 7th and will run until the 30th of November, with the winner being announced on Friday the 2nd. So, just in time for Christmas to give yourself or your favourite sim racer, their very own present. Full terms and conditions will be on the website, and to enter, follow eTeamHard and us on Instagram, comment and win on our post, and share it on your story. I look forward to seeing the winner and rocking the new merch and those headphones. I'm sure it will help you with your apexes. Good luck. Uh, James, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. And... um. There's something I like to sort of figure out from a standpoint is like your background and the the, the person you are today. What would I need to know about you as, as a kid growing up or even as a young adult that would give me context to who you are now? Oh, so you could go down the route of defining it as, oh, my name is James. I'm a hard worker, but that's, that's just not the route I go down. I guess kind of what I am now is definitely shaped from what I was like as a kid in a lot of ways. Um, I'd say I'm I'm very I've always I'm a bit of a visionary I'd say I've always had visions of doing things and it's kind of like oh you want to achieve that you want to achieve this but where I am now is not where I thought I'd be yeah um but I'm not going to relate it too much to a job at this point um I've always been someone that's quite joyful got along with a lot of people um built a lot of good connections um I think as as I was younger, I always found it really easy to, to kind of make friends with people. You know, you go on holiday and just make friends with everyone you can, just have a good time. Um, and that's kind of followed me through, I guess, to, to maybe who I am today. Quite a joyful, um, I'd say charismatic sometimes. 
um, you know, person that, you know, cares and has a lot of empathy for people. I'm a very caring individual. Uh, I like to make sure that the people I'm working with and my friends and family are always looked after. And I like seeing a smile on people's face. Um, where that's kind of led me to my kind of role now, I guess, if we're relating it back to the job role. I didn't think I'd be where I am today. Um, my original sort of thought process was I wanted to be in the aviation space, but now I'm in the automotive space, which is, I say automotive, but it's marketing, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's helped me build, I, I can see why I'm in this space now from my childhood, because of the way that being an adult now, my, my childhood definitely kind of, created what i am today i guess and kind of grown up through the teenage years of making friends and just being a good i would say communicator most of the time mm-hmm. um i'm sure we have down days but um yeah uh, i'd say the kind of aspect of being happy caring for a lot of individuals understanding people's point of views and having a bit of empathy towards that or trying to empathize where you can with people and have that understanding um has definitely led me to to the point i am now i guess yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to understand that sort of empathy was something you did. You just have it as a kid, or do you reckon you picked it up from parents and people around you? Definitely, my parents. My mum's a very emotional character, and I think, um, I, you know, my parents split up when I was younger, when I was about five. So I didn't mm. really have a father figure there all the time. It was mainly my mum. So I'd say you kind of cotton onto a lot of, as a male, a lot of female emotions from your from your mum especially when she's brought you up through your childhood and you spend most of your time with her. But she's a very emotional character. Bless her, she gets easily upset and used to take heart to a lot of things. And I think going through that, you know, I used to be like that as well. I used to take everything in a, in a bit of a way that a lot of people didn't mean it, but you can empathise with why some people get upset easily or yeah. some some certain things trigger certain people, don't they? So you can empathise with why some people just think, oh, you're just being stupid, stop it. It's... But no, actually, you've got to understand the reasons behind why they're in that position and, you know, try and relate yourself to them. And I think that's something I'm okay at doing. Yeah, I think being exposed to that emotion early on, and especially going through what you did so young, it's it's at those early ages, you're so exposed and so aware to what's going on around you that you pick up things like, I guess, the change in an emotion or someone's opinion of something based on how they feel. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so what what changed? If you, if you were sort of this person that was picking up on emotion and feeling pretty sorry for everyone around you, what I mean, do you still carry that with you now? I think I've learned to control it a bit more. I used to be quite an emotional character, you know. I think at school you get... I'm not going to go down the whole route of being you know, bullied at school, but, you know, I think everyone goes for a period at school where they're picked on. Some people mm. may be lucky and don't, but I think it helps build you as a stronger character. You know, and I used to take maybe things that people would say as a joke to heart too much, and it used to upset me a lot. Um, but now you kind of learn that you can't please everyone, and not everyone's going to like you. And I think sometimes when I was younger, I used to want everyone to like me because I used to try and like everyone yeah, um, yeah. and be friends with everyone. And some people just don't want to be friends with you, and that's just how it is. Um, and not everyone's going to like you. And I think learning through that throughout the years, and even going through my kind of you know adult years, I'm 26 now, but, you know, even in the, la- even in the years from kind of like, 21 to 25 you still do a hell of a lot of growing up um and you and you really learn you know being an adult is is a lot different from being a teenager and a child um in the way that things are dealt with so yeah i I think it has it's changed but i i take the key elements from that and still utilize them in today's kind of day-to-day sort of role i guess and day-to-day character yeah and i think it's it's important for to, to have that i mean it's called character building when you look at it, it's, it's, it's not being bullied. It's like, bullying is a different thing. Yeah, like I think yeah. it's, it's, it's important to build resistance up as a young, as a young person. Because I think, it's I good. Think, yeah, I think there's a lot of people, you know, some, some people, you know, would I say, I'd say that I was generally bullied at times by certain people. And I'm sure that you know, people have suffered with it from school. But I guess at the same time as well, it is character building because you have to build the resistance to it. At some point, yeah, rather, rather sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's at least if you've experienced it, then you can kind of take it through your adult years. And it's the same same thing. Not everyone's going to like you. You know, you look at people like Elon Musk. Some people love him. Some people hate him. But you can't fault what he's done, you know, and what he's achieved. 
Yeah, and you met, so you mentioned that obviously having a passion for aviation early on. So yeah. where did that start from? I'm interested in sort of the, the change from aviation to automotive. But as a young as a young kid liking planes, where did that come from? It was a bit of a weird one, actually, because I had a bit of a mixture of both. So when I was young, my, my dad's always been a, a kind of a technician or a mechanic, as you want to call it. He's, always, he's worked for Ford for as long as I knew. He doesn't yeah. work for them anymore, but he worked for them for like nearly 20 years. And he was like a, a master tech level, which, you know, is, I think is one of the, the highest level techs you can yeah. be in the UK. Um, and when I was younger, he obviously was around cars a lot. And we always used to be around that. Him himself was a very petrol head sort of aspect. So, you know, my uncle would have, um, my great uncle would have like mini motos and he was a motorbike rider. And then my dad got me into quad bikes and i wanted a quad bike and i i managed he bought me one um when i was probably about seven or eight and i used to ride yeah. around a little 50 cc um that kind of got me into cars um but then i don't know what happened i remember flying for the first time um i'm thinking you know this is you're kind of taking it to the next level isn't it it's taking engineering yeah. to that next level and then um yeah, I remember my dad getting flight simulator. I think it was like flights in 2002 or something or 2000. And I played it on his PC and I was sucking into it then. That was it. Um, and I remember from that on, from then onwards, I just had that aspiration of wanting to be a pilot. Um, and yeah, it kind of grew from there all the way through to university, even to my placement year. Yeah. Which I then kind of fell into what I do now, which is a bit strange, but... I guess I've, I've I've always had a passion for both. I love cars, but all, I will always have passion for aviation. I think it's a completely, I, th- I think it's very well respected um, because yeah, it, it's a bit it's weird. It's not like the car scene, is it, where you can modify a car and go, oh look at my car compared to yours. You know, you don't get people going look at my airplane versus yours. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you might. It depends if they're private jet owners, but you don't really tend to find too many people modifying airplanes, do you? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot you can do with airplanes, really, isn't there? Apart from the engine, the turbine. There you go. Yeah, it's kind of. It's always been that kind of mechanical engineering, sort of power-hungry sort of objects or things that kind of kept my interest in it, I guess. And so, with with school and having obviously going to university, so where was there a was there a point that your school told you you could do something with your passion and what was that like for from an education point of view because the only reason I ask is for myself I was I was always told that yes you could be an engineer yes can you be a mechanic mm. but the, the steps to this is the university and to, and to do the degree process and I was I was terrible at school I had no academic prowess whatsoever so I'm interested to find out from other people how you were told you could take that career path yeah it's weird so I don't think I actually ever really told my teachers what I'd done. They never really took an interest, to be honest, about what you... I think I always just said I wanted to be a pilot and that was it. And most of the time they go, yeah, well done. It's probably not going to happen. So just, you know, do this and you can get there. It's like, I don't know. I was I was academically good at school. I would say I was one of them people that didn't have to try too hard to understand things. But sure. also I was very lazy at school. I think, you know, as a lot of pupils were, you know, there's some that aren't, there's some that are. I was maybe in that group that fairly lazy, but was still quite intellectual and will pick things up quickly. So I didn't need to repeat things to understand it too much. And when the exams would come, I'd learn what I needed to, to get past that exam. A bit like a driving test. I always say you learn how to drive after you pass your test. Um, You learn what to do to pass the test. And I think that's the thing with, with, with education. I've done well, not as well as I definitely could have done if I'd applied myself more. But they didn't really guide me too much. It was always, you know, go to uni. Like you said, you know, if you want to do this, you've got to go to uni. And I remember going to a, when I finished sixth form, I was like, right, you know, now's the time I want to go and become a pilot. And I remember going to, a, I think it was called the L3 Academy down in Bournemouth. Or no, not Bournemouth, Southampton. Went for an open day and you got like British Airways, Flybe, mm-hmm. EasyJet. And they do like scholarship programs. They say they do scholarship programs. Essentially, they... They say we'll 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 give you a loan, and then you pay us back out of your wages to cover your flight training, which is about one hundred twenty thousand um, pounds, which is great if you get offered that. But other than that, your parents have got to secure a, their house against a loan, which many parents do. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but it also shows why it's so difficult to get into. And I remember speaking to them down at the open day thing, and they were like, if we can give you any advice, you know, it's a very volatile world in the aviation industry. If you have one medical hiccup, that's pretty much it. You know, if your eyesight's pretty poor or you have like any health issues that, you know, can stop you from flying, that's pretty much it. You will probably be stopped unless your career potentially over. So they said their advice would be go to uni, do something that you could use as a backup. Um, so I was like going to uni and studying business and management. Yeah, which is completely different to flying if you look at it. I mean, do you think you would have maybe taken it a bit more serious or been more invested if you were told by teachers and, and people above you and even even British Airways that yes you can do this career instead of focusing all the negativity they go if you want to be a pilot obviously just be a pilot don't worry about all the latest do you reckon that would have changed your mindset at all or do you reckon you would have carried on the path you are now I think it would have changed my mindset a little bit to be honest I think like I haven't come from a it's, it's hard because I'm, I'm thinking of whether it would have changed my mindset or not Knowing that the money involved to become a pilot is so high, you know, I haven't come from a wealthy background. My mum's, you know, we're not middle class. It's just, you know, we work, we're all, we're a working class family. Um, we don't have that sort of money to up front and just go like 120 grand on the table. You know, time yeah. to become a pilot. Um, and plus I wouldn't expect my mum to do that either. But if they had said, look, you know, well, you know, you can get sponsored, you can do this. Um, we can make it happen. And maybe it would have a little bit, but actually saying on that, it's reminded me that when I was about 18, uh, I applied for the EasyJet program and they invited me down to come and do some aptitude tests. And I remember doing a test aptitude test and I was lazy and didn't revise for it. And I don't think I realised how hard it actually was. Okay. Uh, the, the On the feet thinking is very, very, I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And I remember doing that test and thinking, geez, yeah. And and I think I failed it. I don't think I done well. Um, I done a test one and thought, right, if I'm not, I probably could do it well if I practiced. But you have to pay three hundred pounds just to go and take the test. So it's like, well, okay. you going? They're inviting you down, but you still have to pay for it. And I think at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to university because it felt like the, it felt like the easy option at the time. Which looking back on it, probably wasn't the right way to look at it. But I wouldn't be here if I didn't take that option. In of course i'm in now so yeah it, i think if they'd laid it out better i think there's there's a potential but i also do think that they do a good job right now i just wish there was more funding options for people who want to become a pilot than just being offered a loan or a secured loan i wish the airlines would say like you know we need pilots and we're willing to pay for your training to get get you through that it's like if you go and join a I don't know, heavy goods vehicle company and you want to become a lorry driving, a lot of the time they'll sponsor you to do that. Whereas nowadays it's it's not like that in the aviation industry. Well, to be fair, I haven't really looked to it recently, but that's what it was when I was a kid. Yeah, it's what was projected to you when you when you were interested. So I mean unless it's changed, I mean we'll never know. I know that's what we'll be looking to it. But yeah, I mean so you you've you've taken obviously you've taken the, the pilot thing and you've gone to business and management. Was this a uh, you mentioned money was was a big thing for you. So was this a reason you wanted to do business management, or is this something you just thought, I know that would be good for later in life? It's all I've all. If I was going to do something, it was going to revolve around making money, and that's one thing I've always been fairly good at, or trying to find ways. When I was younger, my mum would tell you the same thing. We used to have an alleyway down the side of our old house. It was like one of them sort of. It was a it was a nineteen seventies house. So you'd have like an alleyway that'd separate your house and theirs or the next door yeah. neighbour if they're connected and it leads to the back garden and i used to um i used to do a little car boot sale or a backyard sale and i put all my stuff along the alleyway and stand out the front and it's like put a little sign up outside the house and you know yard sale if someone wants to come you know and sometimes i'd make 10 pounds i'd be so happy but i think it's always been in me to kind of i've always liked giving something and getting something back in terms of like monetary value and you know and I think that's the way <clears throat> I enjoyed it. But I also found it a great way to like build connections with people and make new friends. Yeah. Because they'd, they'd buy something off you that they've got a passion for. I remember like uh, selling a football, the old 2006 like World Cup Germany, <laughs> I think it was. I had that, bought it for £10 and sold it for a fiver. And it was one of, you know, when you used to take them down the school, you know, down the park and the ball would completely lose half its structure. It'd be all yeah. guffed up and it'd lose all the stuff off the side. I remember someone buying it off me for five quids. I was really happy. 
ended up selling the ball to him and went down the park and played football after um, with his now football that was mine. Um, and also, I remember when my dad bought me a quad bike and I had it for a few months. I used to just ride it around the garden. I used to get friends that'd be like, oh, I want to come around and go on it. So I charged them 50p a go. And I'd come around and pay 50p and have a little ride on a quad bike in the garden. Um, I used to go down the ship shop and just spend it on sweets, but that was that was it. So yeah, I, I just had the money aspect of kind of like, or business aspect of it has always been in me a little bit. Um, and then I think obviously going to uni and studying business and management, it's weird because they teach you a lot of theory, but they don't really teach you. I would say they teach you how to be in a business and how to manage in a business. They don't teach you to own a business and run a business. Okay. That's what I, that's my outlook on it at uni. They, I think they give you a lot of theory behind what you would do, but actually putting you in a situation where you go, well, you know, you're now, it's yours, deal with it, make everything happen. Everything's always like high level. If you're a big corporate enterprise, this is how you do it. Um, but obviously as a small company, you know, yeah, I mean, so let's talk about cars. So when did you, I mean, what was it that ignited that, that passion for cars? And you see, you mentioned the motorbike, but how did it progress and gain from there? I remember in, well, my dad, I remember my dad having a friend that had a Dodge Viper. Um, one of the That's a good ones. start. <laughs> having one of the original ones. I remember being taken out and that, and that was a, that was a cool experience. And I think it always, because my dad was always around cars, I was, I always liked being in them. I never had like overly fast cars, but I remember my dad taking me out when I was younger. I'll always remember they always do the thing where they you think it going really fast, you'd be like, oh, accelerate and then rev up the car and then you slow down again and rev up the car. Like, you, know, you keep going faster, faster. But you didn't realize as a kid all they're doing is revving it up a little bit and it sounds like it's going quicker and it's not. And I think ever since then, really, it's always just kind of been in that kind of it's been in the family, I'd say. My mum's not into cars at all, she can she couldn't care less, but my dad's worked on them. Anything kind of engineering, mechanical, we, we've been around. And then I remember seeing the Mark II Focus RS come out in yeah. that lime lime green colour. I was like, that's my dream car. And I knew it from there. I was like, that is my dream car. And, you know, I think from then it was kind of like, right, that's, I enjoy cars. I didn't know I really wanted to be in the space as much as I did or, or am now. But, yeah, that was that was kind of that sort of chilly moment where you're like, yeah, I need to have that in my life one day and kind of work towards certain things. But I was always a Ford guy. Still like Ford, but maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the, they're, they're starting to go down a bit commercial, aren't they, with this, what they're producing and then sticking to what works instead of what they want to make. Yeah, so. I think, yeah, you know, we can run through a history of cars after soon, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one because, yeah, I use I love my Fords. I still love the Fords that I had, but my experience with them was definitely ruined. Okay. Where where did you sort of get to the point where you're like, right, I've I've spent some time in business, I've spent some time with cars. When did you create what is now Fordstroke Media and when, how did that happen and how did the opportunity arise itself? So, interesting one. So, as we were talking about aviation, when I was at uni, my goal was still to become a pilot until I got to my placement year where I actually managed to get a placement uh, at Heathrow Airport, um, working in their head, their corporate head office called the Compass Center, and I started in a in an area called baggage resilience, which was basically contingency planning for if the baggage systems would fail. Which sounds really boring, but it was actually quite interesting, you know. And I, I've always tried to look for solutions for stuff like that. And well, I've always been a solution provider. I'd say I always come up with crazy ideas and go, "Oh, you can do this, this." And there was a few ideas that we came up with during that space. It was really fun but i remember being introduced to the baggage operations director and uh, i was an intern at the time he just oh james let's go for a coffee and just have a, have a chat you know tell me about yourself what do you enjoy doing and at the time i used to make flight simulator videos on uh, on youtube just yeah. tutorials on how to fly planes and make some little flights in movies and stuff you know you might get watched by a couple of hundred people i actually had a video that done like 200k once which was really impressed me um it was literally a tutorial on how to how to improve the performance of your PC for it. But yeah, essentially I used to say to him, you know, I enjoy making videos and watching YouTube and things like that. And he was like, oh, I'd love to see how we can get YouTube involved with baggage operations. I'm sat there thinking, who the hell really cares about seeing anything to do with the baggage system? But yeah. then I actually thought, actually, you know, probably a lot of people want to see the behind the scenes working of an airport and how it works. And 
first thing that comes to mind is like Toy Story when you talk about baggage systems and then going to a little thing. And it was like, yes, I'd love to I'd love to see how we could get involved. And it sprung an idea in the conversation. I was like, oh, I could invite some YouTubers down. I didn't, even, you know, I wouldn't have even called them influencers at that point. It was just YouTubers to me. You know, invite some YouTubers down, get them do a behind the scenes tour of the baggage system at T5 or something. He's like, great idea, go and do it. So I was like, right, you know, I've had this responsibility placed on me straight away. I was a little bit taken back. I was like, you know, this is quite cool. I'm going to do this. And, yeah. you know, I reached out to a couple of people um, that were on YouTube and I, I had watched personally from a kind of flight sim base, simulation base, and uh, said, look, you know, would you be interested in coming down? And I was like, yeah. So we managed to organise, you know, this behind-the-scenes tour of the baggage system. But because it's a very corporate place, Heathrow, as you'd expect, very, as I call it, some people would call it traditional, but I call them legacy-based businesses, maybe where they're not as up to the times as they probably should be for where they are. Sure. It has to go through procurement and things like that and get signed off from the market in a PR team because you're inviting people in behind the scenes. Yeah. So they need to make sure that, and it's a very secure, like you have to get airside security clearance and everything like that. So they've got to do all the clearances on you through the government databases and things. I remember going to the marketing team of slash PR team and they were like, that's oh, a great idea. You know, what what else could we do with it? And, and then we thought, oh, we why don't we turn it into an airport tour? So rather than going from just a baggage system, it turned into baggage system, air traffic control, airfield yeah. tour, driving around the airfield while the aircraft are live, going on top of Terminal 2 roof, just standing out in the open in the, in the middle of the airport. And it was amazing. And you know, it was nice to kind of be in charge of that as an intern. Obviously, you're still working with the managers, but fundamentally, you're at the heart of making that happen. And funnily enough, I, I met, uh, a creator there that kind of I, I watched a lot of quite a big creator and you know we got talking we had a, it was a nice nice relationship we got talking and then afterwards I was sat there thinking I was like after we'd done all these tours and all the videos went live and we looked at all the engagements and stuff I was like oh I could do this for a living actually I, I really enjoyed that like I always like giving people cool experiences or making things happen for people that put yeah. a smile on their face and like to see people in their element that they'd never ever get to do. Like, it's not often you get invited by a big ass airport like Heathrow to say, yeah. come in behind the scenes and we'll drive you around. You know, on the airfield, you can stand there 20 meters from the runway with your camera while they're taking off. You know, things like that will go behind the scenes. And it, it, was, it was a nice experience to give them people that. And I think I thought, you know, I could do this for a living. I really, really enjoyed it. And then I think maybe the lack of confidence in myself at the time, maybe I could have done it myself, but I kind of said to the creator that I kind of built this nice relationship with, and I said, oh, I've got this cool idea, you know, what, what do you think to it? It's like, brilliant idea. I said, well, do you want to be involved? And he was like, yeah, sign me up. So we ended up co-founding the business together. Um, he himself is still a full-time creator. I'm not going to name him because he likes to kind of stay under the radar. Um and does he, he has involvement in the business, which is really, really nice. And he, you know, he keep keeps he chips in his ideas and we discuss a lot of things, but on the kind of forefront day to day, it's kind of me with the team. Um, but that's kind of how it came about. Um yeah. and we kind of it helped to utilize his channel size to be able to get to, you know, some potential first ever clients. But that's essentially how four stroke started. But it was never called four stroke to begin with. Um, you'll laugh at you'll probably laugh at the first name of it. Thank you for listening so far. And before we get back to hearing more from our guests, a huge thank you to those who support the podcast by listening and sharing it among friends and enthusiasts alike. Suppose you could help by becoming a patron. By becoming a patron, you can access live events and video podcasts. These podcasts will always be and continue to be free forever. But like anyone doing something out of passion, I want to improve. Better guests, audio and more production. If you're willing to give a small monthly amount and invest in my mission to inspire, inform and entertain by getting better equipment and giving me more time to invest back in the podcast. I would be forever grateful for anything you can provide. If you're currently on your journey to explore your passion for cars and need help introducing yourself to people in the industry, patrons will also be having a one-to-one with me to help advise and see if the network I have built during this podcast can help you achieve your goals. I will leave further information in the show notes below if you want to know more about how you can help.
we called it world of transport because the whole point of it was to to go yeah. to yeah. airports and engineering places and show them around with influencers so it was like oh let's go to dubai airport or changi in you know in shanghai and stuff like that and show off all their cool things yeah but we ended up just and getting very heavily involved in the car scene and we're like we can't really be called world of transport anymore we tossed a few ideas around and then just came up with like well, what can we relate it to i just thought of four strike engines and then we just called it four strike media and that was it no um, i think it's a brilliant name so you know and then the branding side of it with the four stroke some people don't even clock on to the four stroke engine part they just think it looks cool with the, the kind of branding aspect of it so yeah that, that that's essentially how it started weirdly enough coming taking me out of that aviation place and putting me into a a business orientated connection building area i guess yeah and it's, it's quite funny because you mentioned sort of um giving people experiences and, and making them happy and i thought a lot to think back to and you gave that football away and you do doing that and you in the fourth street then you built that relationship with the guy and you took a month that when you play football with it. so it, it's, it's, a, it's a clear sort of like even skills you have as, as kids yeah can can take you through to where you are now yeah i completely agree i think a lot of that stems probably from my mum my mum's quite an outgoing person herself like she's quite introverted but at the same time she you know she she could speak for england probably so can i so can my dad but you know, we were never the ones, my mum was always the ones that were like, right, we're going to go around friend's house now. And we'll just knock on the door and turn up. I'm like, yo, <laughs> do you want to do something? Do you want to, do you want to go hang out? Or, you know, and that kind of followed me as a kid. You know, you don't, when we didn't have mobile phones when we were younger. The only, well, we did, but they were like the Nokia bricks. Mm-hmm. You know, the little ones where you could play snakes and ladders on it with a, playing with the little key phones. And, you know, most, you never really gave your number out to anyone. Um, but as I was younger, maybe like year three, going up to year six, you know, year six is probably when you all started getting the phones, or year seven. And then um, I just go to my friends, you just knock on the you, you wouldn't ask them whether they come out, you just knock on the door, like you're coming out to play, that'd be it. And do you want to go play football? Yeah, go on then. And then just come out. And that was it. It was very much, you just kind of build that confidence up, I guess, and happy to just approach people and be like that. Yeah, it's, it's weird how little people do that now. You know, yeah. you, you wouldn't see like a group of guys going to the pub, but would have knocked on everyone's door to right go to the pub. It's 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 That's now it just that. yeah, it's group now chat. just a group chat. Exactly, you know, Facebook group chat with a funny name. Everyone's got funny nicknames, and you know, boys, do you want to play pro clubs or you know, do you want to go to the pub and go for a pint? Yeah, sure, why not? Do you want to get some food? It's it's weird how social media is kind of you know, our phones are essentially a part of us now, really, aren't they? So. It's, yeah. a, it's a very very weird world it's it's an extension and you also if you i mean guessing you do that now you lose that ability to like have that fear of rejection yes in a, in a weird way because if you're doing that as kids and you're just like oh no i can't come out but then you then you try again it's like this innate confidence to go oh but you can come out for like 15 minutes it'd be fine yeah that, that is literally how it was like ah oh, you know and you may sort of always like somehow manage to persuade you to come out and you know be like oh you know can't don't really can't really be bothered like oh just 30 minutes come on like come play some football you go out you go out for four hours yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know that's what it was you know you go and play i don't know whether you we we call it 40 40 in 40 40 Um, it but yeah 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 yeah. you know you'd all you'd all would have would have a park and you'd have all the barriers around it and the person in the middle you would you would run off and then have to come and chase him like 40 40 in so Stuff like that, and you'll just go and climb up the trees and stuff, or hide somewhere where they won't find you. But yeah, none of that nowadays. It's all just jump play Xbox or jump play PlayStation, or go down the park and have a kick about. You don't really see many people doing anything other than that now. Yeah, and so how is it like taking those relationships into the adult sort of world and and with the creators? And what is it like sort of finding the talent and also requiring it? Do you have, do you guys have a certain agenda to look for in a, in a creator or is it sort of you have values that you're standing by yeah i think as we started it was very much like the, the creators that we've got relationships with obviously we work with a hell of a lot but obviously some we exclusively manage the ones that we kind of exclusively manage we've we've got very good relationships with like i'd say they're pretty much as close as friends or even more than friends um in the sense of well, not more than friends, but you know, more than just a business relationship. So they're like, yeah. they they become friends to you, and it doesn't feel like a business relationship. Um, and and that's the thing; it's you get that, you kind of build the bonds. 
where it's like they understand you, you understand them, but you're both like you want them to succeed and you want to help do things and they want to help you do things. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's the thing. I always look for similar traits to myself and in, in the people that we work with. You know, we don't want to work with people that are, as I would call them, just genuine assholes. You know, some sometimes you get some really horrible people to deal with. Um, and it's just like, you know, would I want to work with people like that? Probably not. So why should we as a company? Um, and I always think that working with people like that or working with people you just don't see eye to eye with will always naturally as a business get you in trouble in the sense of something will go wrong and it'll be a standoff between them and a standoff between you. And, oh, the contract says this, and therefore, rather this, rather that. And, you know, everything's about what's written on the piece of paper now, which I completely understand. And that is business for you. You know, you don't want to get screwed over by people. But at the same time, sometimes you miss nowadays then personal connections in business. And I think yeah. that's one thing I've always said I would like to keep, even as the company grows. We're always the sort of people, you know, ring us up, have a chat. We're not just going to speak to you by email and never speak to you via phone. We'll, we'll always make time to speak to the people we work with. Even if they're not talent we manage, if they need help with anything, pick up the phone, tell us, we'll call you. We'll, you know, we're there for them. I think that's the thing. It's like we empathize with them. We understand what their work's like. They understand what our work's like. And I think it works quite well. And what's what's what do you say is different with content creators and then marketing them versus like an actual brand or, or a personal? What in terms of so we don't actually market the creators ourselves. We we yeah. essentially what we do, we, we obviously manage the talent and then deal with their relationships with brands. And then we also work with brands to help them find influencers to promote their services, if that makes sense. So yeah, essentially from from that point, I guess traditional marketing, you could say, leaflets, radio, television, um, Google ads, search engine optimization, very traditional. It's always the brand pushing themselves it's them saying we are great therefore you should come and buy from us whereas when you get an influencer to do it it's saying actually you know i've got a great relationship with my audience they believe what i say they trust me and usually what you tend to find is that a lot of influencers shouldn't a lot of influencers will promote the things they believe in i'm not saying they shouldn't promote stuff they don't believe in because i believe that the creator economy does need to be propped up by brands that are you know, willing to pay the money to the creators to help them in the economy, especially the smaller creators that they you know, need that help to keep building their channels and even the bigger ones as well. You know, a lot of people say anything's possible if the money's right. And for some creators, that's true. But for a lot of creators, it's not. If they mm. don't see it fitting in with their audience, they won't do it, which is a nice thing because then at least you're not getting fobbed off, you know, stuff that you don't really want put in front of you. And I think that's the thing because these guys have got the trust when a brand comes to them and says, look, we've got this product or we've got the service, we think your audience will really like it and you align with us a lot. I think it's really good then that the influencer takes it on and showcases that to their audience because they're actually giving them something that is beneficial to them if they want to purchase that or if they want yeah. to use the service. And I think that's the thing is you're using an already targeted audience with someone who already has direct access to the target market that the brand wants and also has built up that trust that allows them to kind of say, I think you should buy this or use it if you want to. Not saying you have to purchase it, but, you know, here's a discount. If you want to buy it, I'm going to try and help you out here, get you some money off, you know, thanks to XYZ for you know partnering with me. And it's nice to see that brands are willing to then partner with creators. And one thing I love to see nowadays is brand ambassadors that have come from a creator background. Um, you know, you see a lot of big celebrities that are brand ambassadors, which is fine. You know, they've got huge followings and it's nice to be associated with a high uh, high level individual kind of celebrity, you know, famous for that sort of stuff. But it's also nice when brands take in and look at the creators that are specific to their kind of target market, kind of say, we want to partner with you because we believe in the same values that you have with us. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing. And when did you sort of figure this out that you could, I mean, obviously it was earlier in Heathrow that, you, that, you, that the connection was there, but when did you realise that, this is, this is the thing that people did for a living. When do you realize this is the thing that sort of you can make a decent living out of? Well, as of being a creator or starting a business, kind of bringing the people together? Starting a business and bringing the people together. I think when I saw what benefit, you know, kind of Heathrow got and the, and, and the kind of feedback that the, that the team saw from that, um, 
I think at that point it was kind of like, you know, I think mainly because Story Life just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed giving people a really cool experience that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. But then I realized actually a lot of brands pay for this stuff. So it's like, well, why not partner them up together and make a business out of it? You know, essentially we get paid for our time and we get paid to bring the right people together and make sure that they work together well. Um, and, you know, I get to do what I enjoy, which is bringing people together. And it, supports my living at the same time yeah. and it also does what i really enjoy doing which is making sure helping other people out whether that's in the terms of monetary help whether that's in the terms of giving them an experience that they never had before or you know gifts of products things like that it's, it's always like doing something for someone if that makes sense it's never just all oh, me 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 yeah. it's it always revolves around bringing people together and making sure the relationship works that's brilliant and sort of where do you look at this going in the future have you got a plan or is this sort of like where would you like to take four stroke going forward this is a weird one i've always said you know you get a lot of companies that are like or or leaders that say oh you need a five-year plan and i would say five-year plans aren't really worth the paper they're written on it's just an aspiration that you kind of want to get there because in five years a hell of a lot is you know it's a lot of stuff changes during that time period. And I think the best thing to do is really target, you know, what you can do in the short term, the medium term and the long term, you know, where, where do you, where do you really want to go? And I think that's the thing. So for me, just long term, I'd like to get the company to a place where it's seen as the kind of go-to for trusted relationships with brands, yeah. knowing yeah. that the influencers slash content creators are going to get looked after and that the brands can trust us to make sure that we bring them the right people and also bring them people that align with what they're trying to achieve. I can't always promise that we're going to give the best results because I think in any if, if any marketing company promises you that, in my opinion, they're lying. You can't promise results to people. You can guarantee views, but that doesn't mean you can guarantee they're going to get all the sales in the world. But what you can guarantee is that you're going to try your utmost hardest to get there and help them achieve what they need to. Um, on whatever kind of scale they're looking to do that yeah i want us to be seen as that company that people can come to and trust and know that they're not just being taken advantage of for the big budgets they may have a huge scale creator i'd never want to be looked at in that way you know i want to be seen as a company that people and clients and creators can come to and that we're going to help we want to just bring people together like big connectors i guess We're, we're a big connector and i think I'd love it to get to that point and where the business essentially, you know, I help build a team of people that are like-minded to me and share the same values. But also I, I want that kind of, you need to have people with different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And I just want to create a team that compiles everything in our values, and just makes that happen for the people we work with and that they enjoy it. I want, I would, I would like it to be a company that people enjoy working for, feel valued. Um, and I want our clients to feel valued and the influencers to feel valued because I generally think that focus on the relationships, the money always comes later. I think if you focus on giving a good service <laughs> rather than focusing on the monetary side of things and actually enjoying what you do, eventually you'll make it in, if people want to base it on monetary, I think eventually you'll make it by being consistent. I try not to look at it like that. I just, I like the freedom the business has to allow me to, build relationships with great people um and i hope i can give that back to, to my team as well yeah and so um, what is it important <coughs> for you james as as, as, a, as a business owner as a team leader to, to make sure that, that that culture and those values are kept as a sort of consistent uh, throughout the business i think you know one thing we've always done is you know why do we do what we do how do we do what we do and you know what do we do we always start with the why you know we want to build great relationships because that's essentially what we started as and by building trust and having great relationships in my eyes that's you know building trust being honest being empathetic and caring looking after the people that you're working with and that's essentially how i would see building long-lasting relationships and i i look for that in the team you know when we're employing people we're not looking for or recruiting people we're not looking for the people who have got the best looking cv that have got xyz degree or you know done x y and z and had all this amazing extracurricular activity we're analyzing what they're like in a, a personality trait because i always believe you know you can teach yeah 
my life is that you can teach someone how to do a certain thing, but you can't teach them not to, you know, have the personality of a wheelie bin. You know, if if they've got a really poor personality, you can't train that out of them. You can't teach them. You can help them develop, but what you're looking for, you know, only they can change their personality. You can't force someone to change who they are as an individual. You can help them along the way, but it's down to them. And you know, we're looking for people that understand that, but also have the caring attitude from the offset and are empathetic and want to help others. Um, but you know, we've got people in our team who are more assertive and we've yeah. got people in our team who, you know, are more understanding and you know, will take more time. And everyone balances off one another and I think it works well. And I think that's what I'm trying to I'd like to cultivate in the company is that we just want a caring environment where people look after one another. Because I think just having great relationships is 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 what you want for a business. Because I think that then stems into your clients, it stems into influencer relationships. But at the heart of it, I think it's all to do with how you treat your own employees. Yeah. If you look after your people, your people will look after look after the clients you're working with. Brilliant. And who I mean, is if anyone gives gives you help and gives you advice, did you have a mentor or someone that guides you through all of this being only 26? Having a mentor. Um it's weird. Really, I'd say maybe my business partner. Um, you know, he he's older than me, he's he's, he's in his fifties. Doesn't have to be older than you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think yeah. he he mentors me in ways of he we we're different people and we bounce off each other. He's a very assertive kind of no bullshit guy where i'm more of like i understand i'll take the time empathetic you know and i won't shout at people to get something done it's like <laughs> you know but then sometimes you do need that kind of assertiveness where it's like people will take the piss if you if you're not a little yeah. bit more assertive with them and some people need that assertiveness to get the job done but other people might you know get upset or find it too much um, and that's kind of where you have to have the balance. So I'd say my business partner, definitely my mum, absolutely loved it to bits. But she definitely made me into the person I am today. I'm trying to think mentor-wise. So I'd, I'd say a lot of the stuff that I've done is very just learning from experience, really, learning from jobs I've done. And I'll tell you one thing. I, I guess I wouldn't say it's a person. I'd say it's a company. I'd say one of my biggest mentors is probably Apple as a business. Sure. I take a lot of what we do from the culture that I learned at Apple. And don't get me wrong, the culture is not always amazing there. You know, in a retail environment, you can't expect it to always be perfect and you can't expect them to always get recruitment 100% bang on. You know, there are managers there that will micromanage, which is very upsetting because you don't want that. But there's also great leaders at that company and the culture that they have for their employees that they look after them is something that I really believed in. Um, and I found that out from when I worked there. And kind of realize that you know realistically to to be successful a lot of the time it's just about people it's it's bringing the right people together and caring for people in a way that they need to be and everything else kind of comes after i think it's always a byproduct of that sort of aspect so yeah it probably sounds like me droning on about the whole you know being caring stuff but i I generally think that's that's where a lot of it stemmed from as well as a business point of view has come from that kind of apple background so maybe that mentored me in a way. I'd say that. I'd say my it's a weird one. In terms of it's, it's trying to guides me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you, you don't necessarily take all your advice and influence from one person. You kind of like say pick it up from life. Yeah. In exactly. in, in, in a good way, the people that surround you. But just on yeah, a exactly. day-to-day basis. Exactly. Like my partner as well, she's you know, we're completely different in a lot of different ways, you know. Um, and she keeps me well grounded. You know, we've we've come from two different backgrounds and, you know, she keeps me grounded in areas I need to be grounded, you know, and, you know, she'll give me her opinion on things that maybe I didn't see eye to eye on originally, but then she'll explain it like, oh, okay, I do, I do get that point now. And it helps build your character. Um, but I think just day-to-day conversations with people, you learn, every day you learn something new. It's weird. Some people have like, you channel a load of rubbish, but... I generally do. I think you learn something new every single day, whether that's about yourself or you learn something new about someone that you've interacted with or you know, should you do that, should you do that, or should you do this? You know, it's, yeah, I, I think you learn something every day. Learn something new every day. Yeah. I mean, not to dwell on the negatives, but is there <laughs> anything you'd personally looking in the next five years that you'd like to change about yourself or that you you think that you could work on as a person? Um, 
organizational skills um i think as someone that is quite um I'm very idea driven, you know, whether you call that visionary or entrepreneurial skills, I'm unsure. I tend to have a lot of cool ideas where I'm like, oh, we could do this. I get sidetracked really easily. And I think that's something that a lot of great, you know, entrepreneurs and successful business people have is that they come up with great ideas, but they really need the help and support of other people to make it happen, which I think is me. Um, I can do it. But I really have to apply myself to be like, right, no distractions. I get distracted very easily. And I think that's something I would like to work on. But yeah. I think in today's day and age with the way that technology works, there's always something prompting you. Oh, you haven't done this. Well, you haven't done that. Or so-and-so has messaged you and you're always like doing your work and you see it buzzing off. And you're like, well, let me just reply quickly. And yeah, it's, I think that's something I definitely want to improve on as myself is organizational skills and setting time periods to do certain things you know maybe i've you know at times i've i've lacked in probably my own relationship my partner in the sense of time being given to that yeah because i've been focusing on work and you know i'm I'm a lot better than i used to be i used to be taking work calls at the dinner table and i can understand now how frustrating it would have been that you know your partner's cooked your dinner and you know you're eating together and all of a sudden work call comes through yeah, I'll see you in a minute. I'm going to take this and just walk off. Uh, or, or you're having a conversation with them, and then all of a sudden the phone rings. You just sat there eating dinner, talking on the phone to a work, you know, a content creator or a, a client. And yeah, I think that's definitely something that I'd, I'd like to improve on yeah. going forward. No, bro. And sort of, James, I know we're coming to the end, but I mean, there are a couple of questions I tend to ask just out of a, just out of a curiosity thing. So, being a car guy, I mean. I hope this isn't all three Fords, but what would you put in your three-car garage, your ultimate three-car garage? What would that be? Right. Uh, let's have a think. Mark II Focus RS, lime green. Um, I'd love a Sierra RS Cosworth. That'd be cool. It's coming from the, um, the Ford, Ford aspect, but I do love my my German cars now. Probably say a Hurricane STO. You know, okay yeah i'd say my car history is kind of leading up to that point at some point so it's developed nicely no brilliant and um if you could take take one car and drive it on any road or track what would you take and where would you go oh you know what? i'd take my audi r8 and take around the nurburgring and try not to crash I try not to crash. Just try not to crash because it's, it's, it's a fine for everything. Like you, one one blade of grass costs you fifty quid to replace in that place. It's a oh, you crash into a barrier and yeah, that's it. You better just might as well sell your car. Exactly. exactly. I'm trying to think what else. What else would I take? Going something that's not actually mine. Um, I'd like. I'd, I'd be intrigued to take like an Aston Martin Vulcan. Okay. Yeah. Vulcan AMR or something like that around around a track because I can imagine that is a cool piece of kit to drive. Really, really cool. Yeah, that and the Valkyrie, I think, would be interesting. Yeah, the Valkyrie, I've heard, is a bit of a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, to find out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a uh, nice. Yeah, it's an interesting one. What about you? What What's your car history? My car history is really sad for someone who likes cars. I there's just two parts of me. There's a part of me that wants to buy cars that are fun. But the other half of me is like I've I've got to keep it down. So I mean I've had I mean have I've had an R fifty three Cooper S, which is fun. Very nice. That was that was fun. I did bits and bobs to that until it blew up on me twice. So I yes. I've had a, I've had a Ford blow up on me, which we can go into if you would like. <laughs> I mean we can. I mean wow because my head gasket went. I don't oh, know why, but yeah. Well, I had um I had a Mark three Focus RS. Uh, the nitros blue one and uh, had it a month and a half and it blew up on a drag strip well it wasn't even a drag strip we were there for a content creators video and the guy with the stock rs was like oh i bought mine tuned it was stage two but mm. I, I, I bought it from a dealership it was it was mountain so it was meant to be like oh, mountain okay yeah it might be ford approved but you know but i think they only actually offered the warranty up to the like m375 package but mine was running like the m400 so weirdly enough it was only 50 brake horsepower over stock but i think they'd really increased the torque on the uh <clears throat> on, on on the car and um it loved a good old bit of turbo boost 
And I think they wound that up a lot. But the, the weird thing was with it is that I had it a month and a half and we were filming. Funnily enough, it was for Hampshire Photography, Luke, one of our one of our influencers. And uh, he was doing a hot hat, the ultimate hot hatch drag race. And I come down just to help and support and be there. And um, one of the guys had the same car as me, but he just had it stock. And he was like, I really want to see what it's like modified. So I was like, right, cool. Set the car up and you know, let it warm up a little bit. Up and down the drag strip. Only a couple of mm. times. Yeah. Lord, it must hit about 140 or something like that. And then, um, yeah, because because we had a long stretch, I think. We had like, was it 140? It's something around that. We had a long stretch of runway to use at the time. And on the way back, I revved it up. I was in fifth gear. And all of a sudden, the revs just went, bosh. Yeah. And I was sat there, like, I was like, what is going on? And like, not, like I was putting the throttle down and it didn't even rev up. It just went, no. And that was it. Turned out it had overfueled and melted the pistons. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it required a whole new engine. Um, Ford wouldn't pay out on the warranty. Mountain said it's not their problem. And luckily, because I bought it from a dealership and it wasn't Ford, they actually paid up for a whole new engine replacement, which was oh, wow. yeah. grand. I said to them, I'd be happy if you just pay two and a half grand and I'll take the engine and get it forged. Yeah, I was like, yeah, just pay two and a half grand, I'll get it forged, and then I can get it M400X. So at least it's a bit more a bit more reliable then. But um, yeah, I was then without the car for another month and a half, which was really sad. And then I got it back and felt like I couldn't trust it anymore. So I had it for a year. I never felt like I could drive it to its full capability at that point. So yeah, it was a bit rubbish. And then I went German and then realised what cars were all about. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've got a I've now got a stock Honda Civic nineteen ninety nine. So it's it's um, oh, very nice. Very, very, very I'm not gonna nice. not gonna touch it because if I touch it, it'll go, I'll go down a rabbit hole. But <laughs> like getting um get that VTEC power. Yeah, well it's it's more depreciation of it. I'm just gonna keep it so it goes up in value a bit and then sell it. So well, that's always the best. I've literally lost so much money on my current car because I'm 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 in the process of selling it. But, right, it's the fun. It's the fun of the, the drivers, and not the not the, the money side that that makes cars what they are. So, exactly, exactly. You know, cars are enjoyable, but you know, I, I always, I always think, and I, I think it was from Calvin Car Diaries who said something recently, and I couldn't agree with him more. It was about the um, the want for the car is always the main feeling, but when you have that car, it just turns into a car, and you become used to it. And like, you know, if I if I'm driving around now. The car is more for other people than it is yourself, really, in a lot of ways. Or maybe that's just how I view it. But, like, it's nice seeing, you know, the kids. And you'd imagine yourself when you were younger seeing a car like that and being like, jeez. But because you see the same car every day, you just think it's normal at that point now. Well, not normal. It's normal to you. So then when you're out and about and other people see it, they're like, oh, my God, supercar or whatnot. And, you know, rev it up and... You're doing it for them. You're not really even doing it for yourself at that point in time. It's just you know you you've got to where you wanted to be with that car, which is getting it, and then maybe it just loses a bit of novelty. Maybe that's why they say a lot of uh, money doesn't make you happy. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that the okay, drive drive could drive a car. How it's meant to be driven because you might inspire someone to have a passion for cars. Something like that is a, is a phrase which I quite like. Exactly, exactly. I think that's the thing. But with a lot of cars nowadays, you can't, you really can't drive them anywhere near with them. And how how they're designed to be driven, unless you take it on a track, and when they're worth quite a lot of money, you're also quite then scared to put it around a track because you're worried what what, what might happen, especially with other people on track. You know, I'm sure you've seen some horrific things as have I. Um, and 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 you worry, so you're just like, you know what, I'm not going to. I'll leave it to the professional. Yeah, and so there's two more questions. The, the the one of the last ones being sort of who who inspires you. And I know we've talked about your mom and sort of stuff like that, but like as a person, who inspires you? Do you know one guy that I really really like? It's Casey Neistat um, on YouTube. I actually met him once um, when I worked at Heathrow. Um, yeah, uh, he was coming through the airport, and I remember emailing him asking him if he wanted to come on the behind the scenes tour, and he said. He was so upfront. He was like, I'm not going to lie. I really don't like Heathrow Airport. (laughs) Crap. I was like, okay, right. How can we change his perception of Heathrow? So we managed to get him like a a meet and greet service that could help him 
get through. He said it was cumbersome trying to get through transfers and stuff. So we helped him get through all of that and got him into a nice lounge and stuff. Um, and he was just the exact same in real life as he is in his videos. And I just love the way that he tells stories and how you can tell that he's really taken a lot of, it shows you can just be yourself and people should love you for that. You know, yeah. and you can, you, you don't have to try to be someone else to be successful. You don't have to then try and mimic or copy someone else. that's already successful. Maybe take some of their learnings, but yeah, probably I'd say him. I'd rate Elon Musk for what he's done. Do I say I look up to him? Probably not, but I was watching one of his documentaries recently and I found it very inspiring. Um, but I wouldn't say he's one of my kind of like idols. Tough question. It's a good question, but I don't actually think I have a very valid answer. <laughs> That's fine. Just the, the one person's normally enough is to, to keep you going and sort of to have that reference point to like values that you admire. So it's it's a simple question. It's a hard question, but it's it's one that sometimes can can bring out something you hadn't thought of yeah yeah completely agree and so the last one being james if you had any advice um to a young business owner or to someone that wants to start their own thing what would you do what would you say and how would you say to do it so right what was the first first one again yeah so what would you so what would you say what would the advice you give what advice i give so be yourself don't be too hard on yourself Business is a funny old world, but focus on networking with the right people and focus on networking and building great relationships with the people that you want to be in that space. A lot of the time, it's not what you know, it's who you know. What you know helps, but who you know also helps a lot more, in my opinion. <laughs> I think if you know the right people they will, and you build great relationships with them, they can help you get to the point where you need to be. Because a lot of the time you'll find with business owners, they want to help and successful people, they want to help. They want to help other people on their journeys. Yeah, I'd say 100%. Network with the right people. Don't be afraid to just go and approach people. Just say hello. You know, this is who I am. This is me. You know, this is what I do. You know, would you be open for a chat? Just have a discussion. Like, can I learn some stuff? And always never think you're always right. You know, you may sit there and think in that in a kind of environment where you're like, no, this this guy's a buffoon or this person's, you know, saying the, you know, the complete wrong things, don't agree. Just try and take something out of what they've said and learn from it. But, you know, don't just automatically think that you are correct. Always yeah. try and get other people's understanding on it to get a very balanced viewpoint. And I think that really helps to make good, crucial decisions. But yeah. Don't be afraid and don't let money get try try the hardest thing I think for a lot of people is monetary stuff at the start. Don't get sucked into just doing a business to make money. Do it for the reason that you want to do something, whether that's you want more freedom, you want you don't want to work a nine to five, you want that bit more freedom. But there are jobs that you know do work, don't work nine to five yeah. because of freedom. But yeah, don't get sucked into the monetary stuff too too early and don't think that everything looks like it does on instagram i think that's a crucial thing is you, there's a lot of pressure i think on younger people right now but it seems like these young people are really really successful a lot of the time they're not um a lot of the time it's showcasing a, a made-up lifestyle on instagram and they're only showing the best bits of it try your hardest not to just try and copy what they're doing or think that that's what you need to have to achieve success you know a nice car and a big swanky house isn't isn't the be all and end all. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Just just be you, be authentic, and try and just build great relationships with people, and they'll help you out. No, that's brilliant. I, I think that's that's it, James. I mean, thank you for taking so much of your time. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for, yeah. And um, yeah, if there's anything I can ever help with, or anyone views this and they want to have a chat, always open. Just give me a call, text, LinkedIn. I'll always try and get back to as as fast as possible. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries It's funny how when I first started this podcast, I was determined to speak to people of high status. People who would selfishly make the podcast known because they had a bit of a following. But after today, I have realised the team of people behind that person makes them so relatable. You could be the funniest, most charismatic and exciting person in the world. Still, you don't know the right people. The message you want to convey and the story you want to tell can't reach the people it needs to most. 
and that's where companies like Fourstroke and fantastic people like James and his team come into play. I hope you understand more about the creator industry and the inner workings of the larger creator economy. Again, like I said, James, he's all about helping people and growing relationships. So if you have a question for him, ask him or a person like him. Because after all, if you don't take that plunge and make the connection, you might find you're still in the same place as last year. And if you are anything like me and have the drive to succeed or make something of yourself and you don't do it, it will drive you nuts. So with that being said, my name is Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars. Gaming, like most hobbies, can develop into your own career if you're willing to put the effort in. When I first found out about car racing and racing games, I was obsessed with online websites and games like Gran Turismo 3. I had so much fun learning racing lines and taking the perfect time to perfect each race. Nowadays, people are competing worldwide in head-to-head sim racing events. And that's where this month's sponsor, E-Team Hard, comes in. With the help of Lee and his team, we are giving away a sim racer starter pack, including merch to wear whilst gaming so you can look the part, with a 3D wrap t-shirt and sim socks, along with stickers to make your rig look the part. I can't believe I'm saying this. But you will be able to hear the sequential transmission with a headset from me to music. The giveaway starts November 7th and will run until the 30th of November, with the winner being announced on Friday the 2nd. So, just in time for Christmas to give yourself or your favourite sim racer their very own present. Full terms and conditions will be on the website and to enter, follow E-Team Hard and us on Instagram, comment win on our post and share it on your story. I look forward to seeing the winner and rocking the new merch and those headphones. I'm sure it will help you with your apexes. Good luck.